I want to say a quick uh, thank you. Oh, you. Pardon, pardon, excuse me. <laughs> to, uh, to everybody that was able to, to make it out to one of our discovery meetings. Our last one was, was Wednesday. Um, and uh, these, these two this week, they all went great, every single one of them. These two this week uh, ended up lasting uh, really close to two hours each, um, which was great because it was uh, just us listening um, to what God has laid on, on your guys' hearts. And so uh, such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, we will be assimilating all of that information and then distributing it from, from this platform and elsewhere uh, as the fall goes on. So just, just uh, sit tight. Uh, but here's what I want to make sure you know and understand. We truly, truly value everyone's heart. And we believe that God can speak to all of us. And if you're truly in prayer about these things and allowing the Spirit of God to move within you and speak to you, and yet some reason, schedule, whatever, you weren't able to, to be at one of those four meetings, that's okay. We will absolutely love to meet with you individually. So we'll just be a couple of us uh, just sitting down together. I'd make the meeting way shorter, obviously. Um, but, uh, but we would love to hear what God is placing on your heart. So don't feel like you were left out. Um, we just can't schedule that. You have to contact us to let us know who you are and, and when would be a good time to get together. We want to hear from you as well. So don't think like all oh, those meetings are over. God just gave me this or that or the other, and I don't have a platform to do it. Yes, you do. Uh, the door is open, wide open for you to share with us. All right. So please, please make it a point to do that. All right. Today's the next two weeks. Actually, I knew this would happen, and I think I mentioned this specifically next week. But I knew this would happen somewhere along life's way. Uh, throughout our study of the Book of Luke, there would come a point in time where there seems to be just a bunch of random teachings all together, and we've now entered that point. In time today, the sequence of the uh, stories today, if you will, the parables today, don't really seem to make much sense. There doesn't seem to be a lot of order to these next few stories that Jesus shares, and we don't know why that is. Um, Luke's gospel does such an incredible job of organizing all of the life of and ministry and events of Jesus into a chronological order that's better than Matthew and Mark and John's, but. In an effort to include as many things as he possibly could about Jesus, you come to these moments where it seems like maybe things were just thrown in. As he went around and he put together all these eyewitness interviews, he's like, well, um, he probably said it, you know, like in here. And so it's just kind of stuck there. In our Bibles, there's subheadings, you know, titles for each of these little stories or parables. Those obviously didn't exist in the original text that Luke put down. So we don't know. Maybe not. Maybe this was Jesus' line of thought and this is how he taught it. We, we don't know exactly because we were not there. So the parables and teachings of today, um, they, they fit in that very description of what I'm talking about. And next week's will as well. So we're in Luke chapter 16 today. Luke chapter 16 is where we will be. We're going to do some at the beginning. We're going to skip a couple uh, in the middle and then do one at the end and, and save um, one of the, the stories from the text today actually for next week because it fits a little better in the context next week. In total, Jesus gave us nearly 40 different parables throughout his ministry, a third of which, a third of those parables all deal with the topic of money. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that odd? You know, a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers, a lot of churches, they hate to talk about money. I don't. I don't mind um, because it's a tool. Um, it's a resource that God gives us, the opportunity to really worship him, to really be challenged in our earthly lives. 
and worship him through giving and things. And so it's really not a hard thing for me to talk about at all. And we'll get to that at the very end, why that is the case. Um, but I think it's very interesting that a third of Jesus' teachings somehow, way, revolved around money, especially when you think about the fact, obviously, A, Jesus knows us today, and that people were no different back then. It's really interesting when you consider that a majority of the people who would come and listen to Jesus, uh, guess what they had? They were the poor, right? They were the poor in their society, yet Jesus thought it was necessary to teach them to share these stories. I think it just reveals a truth about all of humanity. No matter how much we have or don't have, we all want more. And no matter how much we have or we don't have, we probably don't manage things in the best possible way, and Jesus knows that. So he's constantly telling us that if if we choose to follow him, then whatever it is we have, much or little, it's all his. It's not ours to own. It belongs to him, and we are just stewards of those belongings. So our desire as his followers should be to honor him with our finances, to use them to help build his kingdom and to reach, to seek and save the lost. The money, the finances, giving, it's a personal topic. We know that. For most people. And yet Jesus spoke about it all the time, probably trying to help us get the point, because he knew it would always be a tough issue, a tough topic to talk about in the world which we live in now. The first parable we read today is one that you might have read before. You might have probably read it and then just kind of skipped right over it, like, yeah, I don't really think that had any application to my life because I didn't get it. And you moved right on. And that's okay. Because this is maybe one of the most difficult parables of Jesus to interpret. And so as we read this parable together, what I want you to do first is just listen. And as you listen, think about the characters involved. I want you to evaluate the main characters involved within within the story, just in your own mind. And then we'll talk about maybe Jesus' meaning behind these words. Why on earth did Jesus tell this story? Because it is kind of different. So, first one. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man, a rich man, a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in, this manager, and he asked him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to him, Uh-oh. What should I do now? Um, my master's gonna take away my job. I'm I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have no idea. Wait. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people are going to welcome me into their houses. So he began to call the debtors one by one. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down, make it 450. Then he asked a second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted so shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy... In handling your worldly wealth, who will trust you with true 
riches. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, my guess is probably the last little segment of verses you're all very familiar with. Like, oh yeah, I've heard those lots of times. But that parable that precedes it, you probably go, huh? That's in there? I don't remember that one. I don't remember too many sermons on the shrewd manager. And what does that even mean? Okay? So did Jesus just condone or approve of the actions of this dishonest manager? Because it almost seems like he does. Or is there something else that we're missing? Jesus is known for his unusual teaching style, right? He sometimes uses completely understood and predictable scenarios that everybody would understand. And sometimes he used very unexpected, even controversial characters to teach certain truths to get people's attention. In this story, he seems to use a manager, which a lot of people could deal with, because this manager wasn't quite on the up and up. Probably somebody you know, maybe even a way that some of us have acted in our lives as well. Somebody out there, we have no idea who, brought an accusation against this manager and told his boss about it. It said he's wasting his master's possessions. We have no idea what that means. I probably read five or six different commentaries telling me what this meant and what exactly that this shrewd manager was doing wrong with his master's finances. It's not there. We're making it up. All we know is he was dishonest with it. We don't know that he actually did anything sinful with it. Maybe he was just really bad. (laughs) He was a terrible manager. He just managed the funds really poorly. He put it all in the stock market in December, and by March, his wealth was all gone. That's what happened, right? Okay, so maybe that was the case. We don't know. Jesus doesn't elaborate, which means we don't need to either. It's just speculation. So let's stick to what Jesus tells us. There was an accusation made. The master felt that the accusation was severe enough that, hey, uh, I'm going to fire you. Whether true or false doesn't matter. I think it probably is true, so you are going to be fired. And the master could have fired him right then and there, but he didn't, did he? Maybe he should have, right? If you read the rest of the story, might have been wise for the overall rich guy to just fire his manager, but he didn't do that. He gave his manager a chance to put all of his books in order and give an account for what he had done or not done correctly. So the manager, like anyone, if we're about to lose our position, freaks out. And he's like, uh-oh, I got a problem here. Um, there's no hope of saving my position. I can't like beg my boss to, to keep my job. So um, I'm a collector. Who likes collectors? Real quick, raise your hand unless you are one. Right, no one likes a bill collector. Okay, well, no one likes him either. So who on earth, if he gets fired, is going to help this guy out, right? He, he doesn't want to do hard physical labor. Maybe he's not able. He's way too proud to beg. And again, who would possibly give him anything? So he gets an idea. He needs to make some friends. So we got an idea how to make some friends. So either he cheated his boss out this money, or it's also possible being the manager, that's how you made money, was you charged them more than what they actually owed. And so maybe he was just relinquishing his percentage of the profit. We don't know. Either way, he went and made nice with all these debtors. He set himself up very, very well. So well, in fact, that his master said, man, you're fired, but you're good. I get it. Well done. Well done. You see, the only thing that this manager was concerned about was who? Himself. That was it. That was all that mattered. That was his only goal was taking care of number one. He, he eliminated a huge amount of debt for that first man. If you didn't catch it, it was literally 50%. He, 
he cut the debt in half, and that was a lot. The second man, he only reduced his debt by 20%. Estimates are that was probably about two years worth of labor. So he cut it from 10 to eight years of work that that man would have to do. It didn't sound like a lot, but it definitely would have been. This guy knew how to make friends. Absolutely, he did. And now these individuals who he forgave part of their debt owed him big time. He was in. He was good. And his master was impressed with that word. He used the word shrewdness. He was shrewd. He took advantage of his opportunity, and he made the absolute most of us. So what on earth is Jesus telling us? To all go cheat our bosses out of finances and wealth? Probably not. Just a hunch, okay? That's probably not it. So let's start with Jesus' words to end that. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Wait, is he talking about buying people off? What? What is Jesus saying here? I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Yes, first here, Jesus is saying that sinners are more shrewd than saints. For the record, that's not a compliment, believers. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 10, 16, specifically to the disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. You see, the people of the world are better at securing their future. They are more interested in securing their future. They are more worried about their future than the people of God. Why? Why are they so concerned? Because as far as they know, this is all they have. All they have is however long their life might be, and that is it. And so that is why the people of the world are thinking about that all of the time. They will do whatever they can to make it as beneficial as possible for themselves. Think of all the schemes that you've come across in your lifetimes, all the money-making, wealth-generating schemes that exist. How many of you have fallen prey to maybe even one of those somewhere over life's existence? Think about your own personal life as a believer today. What are you planning for right now? Are you planning for retirement, a new house, a new car, a vacation, your kids' education one day. You see, planning isn't a bad thing. God gave us that ability, right? To think, to reason, to plan, to think ahead. It's not bad at all. However, we spend our time devoted to planning our future on this earth and not our eternity. How wise are we in securing our future? Because our eternal future isn't just a few days or a few months or a few years. It is for ever. Do we work as hard planning the use of our wealth and our possessions for God's glory as we do for our temporary life here on this earth? Are we more concerned, in other words, with our physical well-being or our spiritual well-being? In verse 9, Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus uses that word friends here in a very interesting way. It almost sounds like, hey, use your wealth to like buy people off so they'll be your friends here somehow, some way. And that's not at all what he's saying. He's talking about literally using our resources to help other people. 
to build the kingdom of God. We are to invest our worldly wealth. The literal translation of those words in the scripture are the, unri- the wealth of unrighteousness is the phrase that worldly wealth is translated into. The wealth of unrighteousness doesn't mean you made your money in an unrighteous way. That's not it. It means that money is a thing of this world, that it will soon pass away. It belongs to this unrighteous, fallen world. To use it to buy heavenly friends? Well, John the Baptist began to allude to this. He called people who had extra to give to those in need. Jesus called the rich man, literally, and we'll study that in a few weeks here, the rich man to give up everything to the poor. Here in a moment, we're going to read a parable about a man who invested everything he had back into himself (laughs) and the consequences that he paid as a result of that. You see, if the manager in this story can help set himself up and prepare himself for that temporary future in such a creative and shrewd way, using his very limited resources, he basically had nothing to work with except these few debts that were owed to his master. How much more should you and I, who have an eternal future, use our resources to help plan for that future? We're not supposed to store up treasures on earth where they can be stolen and destroyed. Those are the words of Jesus as well. We're to store up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven, of course, literally are people. We can use our God-given resources here to invest in heaven. And it's an investment that is absolutely guaranteed to grow. It is God's economy. You read the scripture. We read the miracles. You saw what when you make a little investment into God's economy, how he multiplies it exponentially. It's no different today. God's economy is not the stock market. It does not lose value, nor ever will it. And at the end, he adds these words, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you've not been trustworthy in your handling of worldly wealth, who would trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then the famous, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But when we choose, when we choose to honor God, even with a little will be blessed with more for him to use us through. The use of our resources to build the kingdom, to make heavenly friends is what we're talking about, to bless those in need is not something that we do to earn favor from God. This doesn't buy our way into heaven. This is our response to what God has already done for each of us. We could never, ever, 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 ever hope to repay the debt that we owe him anyway. So he gives us this thing, this joy of generosity. And those of you that have been faithful givers throughout your life of not just your finances, but your time, your resources, your, uh, the, the abilities that God has given you, when you give those things back to God and you serve him through those things, that gift, uh, that joy that you receive through doing that is incredible. If giving to God for you is still a closed fist, kind of grit your teeth, a quick, I have to do this, then you aren't experiencing that joy yet. God's still waiting on you to release the reins. This is part of the joy of God, the same joy that's existed in heaven when one sinner comes home. He shares that joy with us as we give 
to him. Invest in the gospel and winning in others to Christ, the kingdom of God. You might say, but pastor, here's the thing. I don't have much to invest. You know what? Did I mention earlier that Jesus was telling these parables to whom? The poor. The poor. You might not have much to invest. And Jesus' response is simply this. Well, whoever can be trusted with a little, it can be trusted with much. So many people say, you know what? I'm about to break through. This is about to happen in my life. And when I do, when I do make more money, when I do have this opportunity, then, then I will give more. But will you? Really? Really? It's not likely. You see, our circumstances do not determine our faithfulness. Our character does. I'm going to repeat that. Our circumstances do not determine our faithfulness. Our character does. Your character says, when times are tough, I'm still going to praise him. When things are going my way, I'm still going to praise him. When, when I'm doing well financially, I'm still going to honor and worship him through giving. When I'm doing poorly, I'm still going to faithfully honor and worship him through giving. There is no, my circumstances will change. My character should not. Jesus uses this example of a widow in Mark chapter 12. Verse 41, some of you might know that story. This widow comes in to worship, and she literally has nothing. She has two pennies, it says, to her name. But she gave all that she had. While the people around her were giving lots of money, and Jesus says, you know what? They didn't give a dime. What they gave didn't even matter. What this woman did meant everything. Jesus reminds us that, hey, it's not ours anyway. It's not ours anyway. So who are we serving? Who are we serving the second parable of today, we're going to skip ahead just a little bit because it has to do with money and finances and, and what you have in your possession as well. So we're going to skip a few verses to get down to this parable because it kind of piggybacks off of, it, off of that, that same idea. So you skip down to verse 19. It's another famous parable of Jesus. It was a rich man, a rich man and a man named Lazarus. Now, interestingly enough, this is the only time Jesus names the folks in his parable. He gives him the man a specific name, which is interesting, and it's not the Lazarus he resurrects from the dead later. This is a different, fictitious story, remember. This man was rich. He was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he walked by a man every single day named Lazarus who was covered in sores. He longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even dogs came to lick his sores, and the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him up to Abraham's side, and the rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. Now now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us there is a great chasm that has been set in place so those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The man answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Father and Abraham replied, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. 
No, Father Abraham, he said, if, if someone from the dead, if someone from the dead comes back and goes to them, well, then, then they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, in this short story, Jesus shares with them what will happen if you do not invest in heavenly things. Please remember, this is not a full description of the afterlife. This is a fictitious, made-up story that Jesus is using to teach with. Every day, this rich man had the opportunity to share from his wealth, from his abundance, with this man who had absolutely nothing. From the description of the man, it seems like this rich man could have helped Lazarus with anything. Anything. Clothes, food, healthcare, shelter, you name it, anything this rich man could have done would have benefited Lazarus in his terrible existence, quite honestly, here on this earth. Yet the man chose to invest everything he had into his own personal well-being, and now that man is in hell, eternally separated from God, begging for Lazarus, the irony, begging for Lazarus to come and show him the mercy that he was never willing to show Lazarus. While he was living, think of that. And Abraham kind of just looks at the guy and says, um, yeah, no. No, that's not going to happen. Um, once you're dead, you receive your reward or your punishment. That's it. That's the end. There is no going between. And that is an absolute biblical truth. So any religion or form of spirituality that teaches that people can go from here to there is false. And that is absolutely of Satan. So keep that in your back pocket for conversations with others. Now, the teaching could have ended there. Point made, Jesus could walk off, you know, been done, it had been great. But there's one more little lesson he wants to teach everyone. So, so now that you're dead, rich man, that's cool, that you are worried about others. You understand there's consequences to your action. That's awesome that you want to warn others, but um, that's their decision, not yours. You're not allowed now to influence it. You could have in your lifetime. You could have influenced it all like crazy, but now uh, you're kind of out of the loop. They have the same laws. They have the same words of the prophets that you had. They have to choose whether or not they will follow them on their own. It's up to them where they will invest their treasures in life. The rich man tries one more time, one last attempt. Hey, would you please, please, please send Lazarus back to them? You know what? Uh, if they're not going to listen to the Moses and the prophets, they probably won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, keep in mind, Jesus knows what's going to happen in the not-so-distant future. He will rise from the dead, and some will believe in him because of that, and others will still choose not to believe. Just like Jesus' earlier teachings, whether or not the rich man helped those in need did not determine whether he went to heaven or hell. That's not it at all. He could not buy his way into heaven by helping Lazarus. But the truth is, the fact is, that he was unwilling to help Lazarus. And that lack of love was actually his lack of love for God and his unwillingness to follow God's commands. Giving is simply our response to what God has already done. It's in recognition to what, what, who God is and the reality that he is actually responsible for all that we have anyway. And he actually, if we are his, he owns all that we have. I want to share it with you in a very simple truth. Answer this question honestly. Is it easier to be generous with your own money 
Or is it easier to be generous with someone else's money? You go on a trip somewhere, you've got money, and you see people in need. Or you go on a trip somewhere, and somebody gave you money to give to people in need. Which is going to be easier to give out? (laughs) Yeah, it's not a hard question to answer, is it? Here is the great, awesome, wonderful, incredible news I have to share with you. The money that you have isn't yours anyway. It's God's. It's someone else's. And when you and I truly, really begin to understand that truth, it is so much easier to give freely to the cause of Christ. It is better to give than to receive. So let's back up just a bit right before that parable and close with these words because it deals with the same issue. The Pharisees, verse 14, who loved money. Could we throw that word Americans in there? (laughs) The Americans who loved money heard all of this and just sneered at the words of Jesus. They said to him, you are the ones who justify yourself. Then Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people highly value is detestable. In God's sight, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Jesus gives them this harsh reminder. Oh, you know the law. Church, you know what Jesus teaches. But do we love it? He's calling the Pharisees out. They loved money more than God. They are greedy. They are not serving God the way that they know they should, and they know that. They've even corrupted the law in such a way to serve themselves rather than to serve God, and Jesus has come to fulfill the law, to perfect the law on our behalf, and to remind us that the law has not been abolished. It continues to guide us to this day. We have the law. We have the prophecies to guide our life today. They are a treasure from God. It is not a burden to to weigh us down. This is God's guide to lead us closer to him. And the only other alternative is to follow the ways of the world, which lead exactly to where that rich man was. And that's a place called hell. A lot of new believers, a lot of churches even teach that, well, you know, Jesus never uh, commanded us to tithe, to give a tenth of our offerings. In the Old Testament, whenever you harvested, whenever you made money, whatever, the very first 10% of that, whatever it was, the best 10% you gave to God. And people say, well, that, that's not true in the New Testament. And I would say, you know what, you're kind of right. Jesus did affirm the tithe. He never discounted it. He never said, don't do that. But Jesus really only gave us a couple options. Um, He said that, yeah, you should tithe. And then he said, and you should give offerings. And then his only third requirement was give everything. So he never diminished and said, don't give less than that to God. His only option was more than that to God. And his frequent request is, we'll just sell everything and give it to the poor. God probably isn't calling you to do that. He's calling us to be responsible with the little that he's given us. And he'll bless us with more because when we're faithful with the little, he will bless us with more. And don't think for a second that those of us in leadership and those of us in churches across the world right now don't know what's going on economically. We all know what's going on economically, and it affects organizations like this too. 
He does, and we know that. God's calling us to be faithful with whatever we have. And this economy, ah, that's out of our control. But what we have is in his control. And it changes your thinking on everything. Ask yourself this. Would life be easier or harder if I spend more time studying and following the ways of God? Would I worry more or worry less? Would I be more or less content? Would I have more love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control? Yes, those are the fruit of the Spirit. If I submitted to His ways in my life and renounced my own? It's a good question. These teachings are for everyone. And if you're here today and or you're listening online, you're like, I've never made a decision for Christ. I don't fully grasp this. I don't fully understand this. Please, let's talk. Let's understand. Again, it's not ours. When we give our life to Christ, it means we give everything to him to be stewards for him and to live out his commands, his principles through our decisions in life. If you've not made that decision to turn everything over to him, now would be a great time. Because I'm guessing probably you're sitting around right now worried about everything that you have or don't have. And the sooner you give it to him, the less worry you immediately have over those things. We want to bring you to a place through the Spirit of God where you believe in and call upon the name of Jesus as your Savior. To repent and be baptized into the Holy Spirit. To give all that you have over to him and to allow him to guide and direct you then the rest of your days on this earth. It's way easier than trying to figure it out for yourself, I promise you. I promise you. If you are a follower of Jesus, then the question is, how closely are you following? One of the ways that I was writing it came to mind was this way. Do you, do you stand back just far enough from Jesus so that you could kind of see, okay, I can kind of see where Jesus is going with that. I can, I can kind of understand that. But you're just far enough away that you don't think that Jesus sees that really your hands are just all over everything that you're doing anyway, that you're not allowing him to have possession of those things. Give that over to him. What is it that you're struggling to give up? Is it your life, your personal life, your personal decisions? Is it your family? You trust him with your wife, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your finances. Give it all to him. Yes, it's his anyway. And yes, he knows how to make the most out of your life. Because he created you and he gave you life in the first place. These are not easy teachings, church. We know that. But we're supposed to go over the whole count. You know how easy it would be as I go through a whole book of the Bible? You know, we'll just skip that chapter. That's a hard one. No one wants to hear that anyway. Piece of cake. You'd never even know it, most of you. A couple of you would call me on it. Wait, 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 wait. Last week's reading was here, and this week's what, what, what did we just do? I refuse. I steadfastly refuse not to teach the full counsel, because that's what I'm called to hear, too. <laughs> not just you all. All right, so keep that in mind. Father God, we love you, and we love your word. No matter how hard it seems, no matter how counterproductive according to the world it seems, Father, what we're teaching, what we're preaching, what we're sharing, the world right now is preparing for who knows what economic disaster awaits. And yet, Father, we know that we exist in your economy. We exist in your world and that you alone will guide and you will protect and you will provide every single thing that we need. Is our faith and trust there yet? 
Father, we all struggle with that. I don't think there's a person in the room that doesn't every day question some things, but Father, are we asking you the questions? Are we submitting them to you and turning our lives over to you and allowing you to handle the problems, allowing you to handle the issues that exist all around us, to be faithful to who you've called us to be? Father, there's such a great truth in that. And, and we have many people listening today that have experienced these truths. They had very little. And Father, they were faithful to you with that very little, and you have blessed them. That they may not be rich according to the world, since that's not what we're looking for. But Father, they're very rich in the spiritual things of this world. And you've provided them with the peace and the joy and the comfort where finances and things like that, they don't even consider anymore because they know it's yours anyway. Father, I pray that those people will be willing to share their stories as, as we don't know what awaits us, but they've been through tough times and they've been faithful to you and they can share those stories with those of us that are going through them maybe for the first time in our lives and we're struggling and it's hard not to, to hold on tight to what we have and instead be freely giving it back to you. Challenge us in that area, Father. You, you tell us to challenge you in the area of finances, Father, to give to you what's rightfully yours, what's truthfully is everything. I pray that we're moved by your spirit to do just that. And Father, if there are people listening today that, that hear this and it, it just, it's so opposite. And they, they look at the world around them and they're scared, genuinely afraid in their financial worlds and things like that. Father, today could be the day that they start to trust you with their finances. And not the stock market, not their investment banker, not the, their 401k but they trust in you and you alone to provide all they need. Father, we love you. And we do thank you for your words, as tough as they may be to swallow. The truth will set us free. In Jesus' name we pray.